But I, I have been assigned by God to prepare your heart, not even to prepare your heart, to stir you, to bring joy or conviction, whatever it takes, that you move into this holy week preparing yourself to honor and glorify God through worship, thanksgiving, and praise. And that this week will be a week that you will have the greatest fruit you've ever had in your life, witnessing, influencing, and bringing people into the kingdom. Can anybody say amen this morning? Look at me in Matthew's gospel, chapter 26. Stay with me, guys. Beginning in verse 6. So this is Jesus, and he's preparing to enter in the city on that triumphant day. As it, on this, this uh, weekend and then the next Sunday, well, next, then Friday he's crucified and Sunday he raises from the dead. I'll, I'll start in verse 1. Now it came to pass when Jesus had finished thus saying, the sayings, he said, that he said to his disciples, you know that after two days is the Passover and the Son of Man will be delivered up to be crucified. The chief, then the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders of the people assembled at the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. Now, Stephanie and I have been at Caiaphas', Caiaphas house multiple times. I've been three or four times. And it's really more like a church now and his house. It was kind of a mansion in the day up on the hill. And then... Uh, in his lower part of his house, there was a hole almost the circumference size of this sanctuary and dug out of the rock, because it was on a rock cliff, this huge room. I mean, it was, it was probably, well, it was double, it was bigger than this whole deal here. And the hole they dropped him in was a small hole, but it was a little bigger than this whole sanctuary. And it was about 12 feet deep, 14 feet deep. And what they did when they arrested Jesus, that's where they took him to Caiaphas' house to be judged by the high priest. And what they do, they just take their prisoners and drop them down into that hard rock cold cave. And that's, that's where it was in Caiaphas' house. It's pretty amazing when you, when you see it and you're there and you, feel, you can just feel God in that place because he brought his son out of that place. Can anybody say amen? And it says that uh, then the chief priests the scribes, the elders, the people assembled to get in the palace of the high priest who was called Caiaphas and plotted to take Jesus by trickery and kill him. But they said, not during the feast, lest there be an uproaring among the people. Now look at verse 6. These, these two or three verses are most important for today. It said, and when Jesus was in Bethany at the house of Simon the leper, a woman came to him having an alabaster box Oh, I just read that, didn't I? That's the wrong passage of Scripture. It's the same account, but it's the wrong one that I wanted to read. Where am I? Oh, here I am. Okay. Start in, uh, let's do this, Luke 19. Maybe I need to wake up. We get into verse 28. I'll just, I won't read the whole thing. I'll read a few. Somebody said, thank you, Jesus. And he said this. This is crazy. I'm telling you. He went ahead going to Jerusalem, and it came to pass when he had drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that's the Mount of Olives, that he sent two of his disciples. Verse 30. And here's what he said to his disciples. Get this. 
Go into the village opposite of you, whereas you enter in, you will find a coat, a donkey, a, a little child donkey, a coat tied, tied up on which no one has ever sat, loose it, and bring it here. And if anyone asks you why you are loosing it, say to them, because the Lord has need of it. Now, I'm not going to go in and read the whole passage about him setting that up. But this is the part where he is at the Mount of Olives. So what's he doing? He is setting up and saying, go get this coat. Now, here's what I want to get in your spirit for you today. The Lord has need of you. Holy Week is not about you. The Lord has need of you. And when we begin to look at it like that, Holy Spirit, Father God, as we worship you this week, it's holy communion time. Holy means separated from an evil or profane use to a holy or a godly use. And, and we need to take this time to say, God, how can you use us? How can you encourage us to encourage other, others? How can you strengthen us so that we can be a strength to others, so that we can multiply your kingdom? Now, now, what's interesting about this, you know, what does Jesus do? He says, hey, he says, he says, go, right? He says, do what? He says, go find this coat. And what's so crazy about that, when you think about it, he says, go find this coat. And he said, it is tied up in a village that I'm not in right now. You're not in. And go loose it. And by the way, if anybody challenges you on it, tell them I, the Lord, Jesus, has need of it. Now, if you'll read on later, there was someone that asked him about it, right? And they said that, and they let him bring the coat. But they responded. His disciples responded just like you're responding. Right now, just sat and looked at him like, okay, we'll go do that. Because they missed the little things God was doing on their behalf. The little things they didn't notice or give attention to. Why? Because how did, they, how did Jesus know there was a coat in another village, the very address or intersection where it was tied up? How did he know it was not only a coat in another village ready but he also knew it had, the history of the coat, it had never been written before. And then he, he had the discernment to go on and say, by the way, if anyone questions you on them, tell them I'm, the Lord has need of it. I want to encourage you this morning because I think so many times we miss the little things. We just accept that we're saved, or we got saved, or we're healed, or we're filled. And we miss the little things. I mean, when you woke up this morning, it might be a little thing unless you didn't wake up this morning. It's easy to miss the little things. It's easy to miss the little things that God is doing, that God is saying, and that God is moving in our lives. We, we as Christians sometimes think we're tricking God, and he doesn't know everything about us. He just kind of knows what we let him know. Well, if he knew where that donkey was, in what village, and its history, and how it was going to get back to him, I think he knows what's going on in your life. The Bible says he not only knows you, but Matthew's gospel, chapter 10, says he knows the number of hairs on your head. 
Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says he not only knows your heart, but the Bible says he knows the very intention of your heart. He don't only know what's in your mind and in your heart. He knows what you're thinking, contemplating, could, might possibly be doing someday. Mm-hmm. Oh, say ouch to me. How about you, right? So how, how does he know this? The same way that we begin to discern how Jesus knows that, we need to be realizing and thinking about the simple things in our own life. Like I said, waking up in the morning. The fact that when you woke up this morning, your heart was still ticking. Whenever you woke up this morning early, you didn't have somebody brushing your teeth and combing your hair because you're a paralegic. I mean, I think about DJ. We were together this weekend and uh, we're having dinner, he and Miranda and Steph and I. And, you know, he's a walk, wave at him, DJ. He's a living miracle. You know, thrown out of his car after it flipped and they found him unconscious on the side of the highway. And they had him on life support and all that. But in six days, I said six days, he walked out of that hospital. And within two months, he's 100%. But God. I said, but God. Now he said he got teary-eyed. We were talking. He said, you know, now I, I'm, I never was a crier before. But sometimes, you know, one of the kids jump up my lap, hug on me, and I'll just start trickling a tear. Because he said, I may not have been here for this except for God. Or he'll see something happen with, you know, him and Miranda do something. He said, man, I got a wife that loves me and she would be without me and I would be out with her. But for God. He says, you know, pastor, I almost told you what I was preaching on this morning. He said, it's the little things now. I never noticed the little things. I never took my time. I never looked at what's going on around my house or whatever as much as I should. I was too busy providing, too busy, you know, accomplish the purpose and, and doing what men are supposed to do and husbands and fathers are supposed to do. Well, I want to tell you, that's, that's good and that's significant. But the most important thing is never miss the little things that God is doing in your life. Can somebody say amen? Hmm. because if God is doing little things in your life and you notice them you will notice how much he loves you I mean it may not sound that big and it may not sound that impressive and it may be a fact that you know uh, you know I'm not jealous over your house I'm not jealous because your car is bigger than mine I'm not jealous because your your testimony is a little better than my testimony why because I choose to humble myself and if I humble myself, I'll notice the little things of God. And when I begin to notice the little things of God, it will stir up his power. It will stir up his anointing. It will stir up his gifts in me. Why? So I will be able to live out loud the life and assignment he has on my life this morning. Hmm. You see, you have an opportunity to praise God every day. For every little thing. That's how you move with God. That's how you grow with God. The Bible says in Psalm 100 that we enter into his gates with thanksgiving and praise. Thanksgiving and praise. And what happens then, you move into the inner court. Then you move into the holy of holies. Thanksgiving and praise can't happen unless you acknowledge what God has done and what he is doing on your behalf. And the very fact this morning that, that he is your healer this morning, the very fact that you're sitting here healthy or you're sitting here alive at least, or you're sitting here and you're not totally depressed, you're just a little depressed, or you're sitting here, you're sitting here and you could have been in jail with your buddies back when you were a teenager. You're sitting here this morning and you could have been the one on the side of the road with a hit and run 
drunk driver. You're sitting here this morning. It could have been your child in that school. I said, it could have been your child in that school. It could have been your son a month ago that got shot down in this city. It could be, it could be your house that burned down. It could be your family that got attacked. It could be your wife or daughter that got raped. But God, I said, but God. Somebody say, pay attention to the little things. When I pay attention to the little things, I don't just thank God for what's happening. I thank God for what's not happening. Begin to thank him, man, that you're healed and not sick, that you're ahead and not below, that you're above and not beneath, that, that you are in charge and, and not under the whims of the devil, that you have victory every step you take, that you're a righteous man or woman of God, and your steps are ordained by the Lord, and he makes the path of the righteous straight, and he is a high tower that we can run into his safety. I mean, greater is he who is in us than he who is in this world, and we talk about it all the time, right? You hear me say it every service at least a couple times. And, and I just always say that. Why? Because it stirs me up. It's something I confess every day. Whenever I'm looking at a problem too big, I just look inside of myself because there sets the answer, the Holy Ghost. Whenever I'm concerned about sickness attaching my body, I just immediately go inside to the Holy Ghost and begin to speak his word over my situation. I'm telling you, when you begin to praise him, when you begin to thank him, he'll move you into a place with him. He'll set you in his own private quarters. He'll bring you into the Holy of Holies. He will rest on you. We're singing that song Rest on Me Holy Spirit. My goodness, y'all look like a bunch of zombies. Everybody. I come in here Pastor, you were late. Yeah, because I was preparing for you. But if Pastor, oh, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm worshiping before I get in here. Now, I love getting in here. Our worship team's the best. But everybody's just kind of like, oh, oh, me. I mean, you're in the playoffs getting ready to play the Super Bowl next weekend. It's not a time to sleep. It's not a time to slumber. It's time to stir yourself up, mighty man of God. Stir yourself up, mighty woman of God. Don't just take for granted, oh, it's just another Easter week, and we got to get the groceries, and who's going to have everything at their house, and oh, we got to get the new outfits, and them kids and grandkids, we got to find a place to do the Easter egg hunting. And all you do, you, you're doing the little things, but you're not thankful for them. You better be thankful you have healthy enough children and grandchildren to do an Easter egg hunt. You better be thankful enough you got a roof over your head you can have a dinner in. You better be thankful enough you got money to go to the grocery store or somebody in your family does to buy the grocery. You better be thankful that, that you're healthy enough to stand over a stone and slave and heat and complain. You better be thankful enough you got people love you enough and want to come and hear you, sl hear you slave over that stove and eat that food you're making. Somebody give Jesus some thanks. My, 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 fill him up in here. Stir yourself up. Now you're starting to warm up now. It's more like the Bethel people I know right there now. We got to give thanks for the little things. Oh, he said, what did he say back there in verse 30 again? Jesus said, go into the village opposite you. When you enter, you will find a coat tied on which has no one has ever set loose it and bring it here. Instead of talking about loosing something, I'm going to talk about being tied up for a minute. 
I'm talking about being tied up. Jesus had a, had that coat on hold. It was tied up. It could move a little bit, but not much. It could go this way or that way or forward or backward or turn, but it couldn't go very far because it wasn't loosed yet. I want you to realize I'm thankful that God tied me up. That means that he has a purpose for my life. He has an assignment for my life. He has a calling for my life. I'm thankful that God has me tied up. I'm thankful that he has me on on hold for his plan, on hold for his purpose. I'm thankful that I wasn't the one that died. Many opportunities I had to die and many friends that I had that I've seen die over the years doing the things we were doing before I was saved. I'm thankful for that. You know what? Even before I saved, God had me on hold. God had me tied up. Sometimes we complain and it just it seems like things are not moving and not opening up and not waking and not shaking enough for us. That's because God has you tied up. He's got you tied up so you didn't go to jail with your buddies from your neighborhood. He's got you tied up so you didn't marry that crazy person. He's got you tied up because what? He, he has a plan for you and that wasn't the right job and now you got the right job. He has you tied up for the right career, not the wrong career. He has you tied up to live and not die, to rule and to reign. Say, God's got me tied up. God's got me tied up. God's got me tied up and it's all right with me. Hey. Hey. Yeah. Sometimes God ties you up and it seems like nothing's working. Your money's not working. Your marriage is not working. Your kids definitely aren't working, right? Your, 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 your finances are not working. Your health doesn't seem to be working. Your influence doesn't seem to be working on your behalf. Just be of good cheer. God's just got you on hold. He's got you tied up because he's preparing for something. He don't want any of that stuff to distract you so that you can take every one of those areas to another realm in God. The Bible says, be still. Be still and see the salvation of the Lord. Anybody in here ever been tied up by God? been tied up through salvation, been tied up for his plan, been tied up for his purpose, been tied up for his dream, not your dream, his plan, not your plan, his purpose, not your purpose. The anointing is not on your plan. The anointing comes from the planner who made the plan. The anointing is on you for his plan, not your plan. The anointing of God is on you for his purpose, not your purpose. And I think of Isaac Brother Isaac, you're going you're gonna to hear amazing testimony next Sunday about his healing and recovering. But y'all saw him preach up here for 45 minutes. And he's going, I'll just do five minutes. He's preaching a house down. He's going to be preaching here pretty soon. You'll be hearing him two or three times a year at least or maybe more than that. But I think about him, and I think about him being a coach, a teacher, a principal, and then working, retired, and then hauling prisoners back and forth and doing this and that. 
But the one thing I know about Isaac is, you know, all those years, he was on my call for two years, my, ed, my growth call, edge call. And Isaac always had a word. Isaac, oh, I just, I did my call real early in the morning. He said, I just got through my devotion. What'd you read today? He'd just quote the word to you. He said, I just want to quote the word. I want the word of God in me. And so whenever his life was attacked with cancer and it looked like there was no hope and even the doctors were giving up on him in the hospital, he had a word working in him. You know why the word was working in him? God drew him to the word years ago, planning for him to be ready to beat cancer. Here's the thing. You, you, you need 13-tier wedding cake faith to beat cancer. You know, you don't get it with donut faith. And a lot of people trying to build their donut faith into 13-tier wedding cake in about two months. It don't work that way. But God had him tied up. God had him on hold. God had him preserved. And he's been filling him. And he's been teaching him. And he's been empowering him. I can't wait for the revelation that's going to come out of his life. It'll be a greater revelation than before cancer. It'll be a greater knowledge than before cancer. It'll be a greater anointing than before cancer. Now, you could have looked like cancer was the end. And you wouldn't really lose if you just went on to heaven. But when you're on hold for God, when you're tied up for God, and you get thrown through a windshield, they find you unconscious just on the side of the road on a Sunday morning, but God on the sixth day brings you out and they give up on you in the hospital and say you probably won't even have your voice if you live and you're up here preaching the gospel and shouting and praising Jesus. I'm telling you, God's got some people on hold. God's got some people tied up. Got you tied up for his plan. Got you tied up for his purpose. Got you tied up for his purpose. Come on, it's not a Oh, come on, you can do better than that. You can do better than that. Say, God's got me tied up. Yeah, sit down, you're taking my preaching time now. You got too excited now. I tell you what here, some of you all are tied up, but I think you just need God, give God a praise on credit today. You don't feel like you have a praise in you. You don't feel like you're worthy of the praise. You, you don't feel like that, that, that you're the kind of person that God would even use to praise. I tell you what, there's a promise of his praise in you. And right now, on the count of three, if you want to, you can praise him on credit. One, two, three, give him a praise. Come on, give him a praise. Come on, give him a praise, church. monitor oh there's a lot of people on credit but it counts amen God's credit counts every time everywhere mm. you know you know in my life I found that everybody doesn't just know where I'm at they, they think they know me but they don't they, they, they think they know me in a, in a way where they just know where I'm at in my life, where I'm at in my walk with God, where I'm at in my financial situations, where I'm at in my health. And, and, and they think they know. 
And some of you, many of you, most of the church was up praising right there on credit. And somebody said, what's those fools doing praising on? I never heard nothing like that in my life while you sit there with your sarcastic face or online with your sarcastic viewing that you're doing. How could those dummies be praising God when they're tied up? And then, Ethel, they're not only tied up, that preacher said, if you're tied up, how you jumping up? If you're tied up, how you shouting? If you're tied up, how you running and dancing? And then, then I thought, not only did he, did he say they're tied up, he said they got to do it, they got to charge it. Who has a charge account with God? I've had a charge account with J.C. Penney's and Montgomery Wards, and, but I've never heard of a charge account with God. The Bible said, Jesus came to reconcile us to the Lord. That's an accounting term. It means to bring everything up to date, pay it off, reconcile, and tie it off at the end, and it is finished. I'm telling you, you can dive into the bank account you got with God anytime you want to and give him a shout. You can dive into that bank account anytime you want to and give him a praise. You know, you know. I told this story about preacher Buddy, a holiness preacher, famous evangelist of God, wore white. And Buddy stammered. He, he, he had a very bad stammer. He couldn't communicate with people at all. And this was in the 50s. And it, it's a big denomination camp meeting. Big theater. Buddy's up as he always does. Once he would grab that mic to preach, he would speak as fluent and beautiful. You'd never know that he stuttered or stammered. And they had all the big bishops and preachers behind him in their fancy suits. And Buddy's over here preaching. And he's here preaching. And he's over there. And he's even preaching to the preachers. And about that time he turns around. And there was this atheist with a basket of rotten tomatoes. And he stands up about five rows back. And he's just, boom. And Buddy's preaching. Didn't stop. Hit him. He just kept preaching. Missed him. Preach. Woo. Just kept preaching. Woo. Missed. Woo. Almost got me. Preach. It got Buddy's white suit all over. But he got all these preachers and bishops in the back all over too. They're back there cussing. He could hear him cussing. He could hear him back there. Good thing he didn't have a microphone. And he's hearing them cussing. He just kept on preaching. He's mad. Some of them got up and walked off the stage because they had to clean themselves up. About that time, I said, uh, guys out tomatoes. I said, hey, sir, are you throwing tomatoes? What are, you, what are you throwing tomatoes at us for? There is no God. What do you mean there's no God? How could there be a God? I don't believe there's ever was or ever will be a God. He said, so give me an orange out of that basket over there. He goes, man, look at this nice ripe orange. So what? Thousands of people. So what? Starts peeling it. You know, orange is, you know what an orange tastes like? Yeah, I know what an orange tastes like. He said, look at this. You think that's an, yeah, he's like, Mm. Woo! That is a good orange. Wow! That is a really, oh my good. Do you know how good this orange is? He said, No, you fool, because I haven't taken a bite of it yet. And he said, That's the way it is with God. Do you take a bite of God and taste God? You'll never know his salvation. Come on, give God a shout. I 
just tell the whole story. Now, the other part of the story gets in the back, and he's laughing and saying, got that devil saved out there. A bunch of people got, wasn't it great? Wasn't it great? Tell them what happened. Yeah, I'm not telling them what happened. They don't, they don't care. They're big new suits for camp meeting all messed up. And one of them said, Pastor Buddy, what? What, what, what? what was wrong with you? Why didn't you stop? Why would you just keep going? And then you were so happy about it. And you were preaching with a smile on your face when that fool hit you with those tomatoes on your white suit. And people's laughing out in the auditorium. And, and he's hitting us. And you're just, you're just laughing. And all that kept coming out of you was just laughing and joy and preaching. And you just preached it with more love and more power. He said, the pressure hit me. When I, I, I'm under attack. When my, my suit was destroyed and the people laughing at me like they did when they did. So I was a kid and I stuttered. He said, that, that, you know, the, the, what come up out of the, my belly was a, 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 a praise. A praise come up out of me. But I, and I know some of you boys. What come up out of you was a cuss. So you got a choice when the pressure comes, when the fire comes, when the heat's turned on. You can have a cuss come up out of you, or you can have a praise come up out of you. But either way, God's not untying you yet. Remember I said he ties you up for his plan? He ties you up for his purpose? When you come to Christ, he had a plan for you before you ever came to him. And then he ties you up. Well, you know, why, why should I be tied up? I don't know why you should be, but I'm tied up because I'm his. And as long as I'm his, he can tie me up, hold me up, push me, whatever he wants to do to me in my life. Why? Because I praise him because I know where I'm at. Now, it doesn't mean I praise him when everything's only good. I got to praise him when things are bad. I gotta praise him when things are fearful. I gotta praise him when things are painful. Now, I don't always start out with praise. Sometimes I gotta pump that well, or Stephanie's gotta pump that well, the Holy Ghost gotta pump that well. But once I get into praise mode, Satan is defeated. So you you, you might have a cuss come up there that first few times that day, but if you'll just keep on, you just keep on. And begin to give him praise that he's got you on hold. That he's got you tied up. That he's got your plan for you. He's got a purpose for you. And he's getting ready to untie your money. Untie your health. Untie your family. Untie your career. Untie your ministry. Untie your gifts. I'm telling you what. He's ready to let you go. He's ready to loose you when you're ready to walk out his plan. So I'm tied up. Now, the next verse I told you, look, that's verse 31. And Jesus said this. He said, if anyone asks you, why are you loosening it? Why are you loosening that coat? Why are you untying it? Thus, you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. Hmm. That helps people like me. I don't know about you. Because the reason he's tying us up, a lot of times we may be immature or it just may be a timing issue for a plan or a purpose. But a lot of times he ties us up 
because our marriages mess up, our families messed up, you know, our life is messed up, our careers are messed up, our ministries are messed up. We're tied up because we're just messy. But what's amazing is there's always hope with God that not only does he put you on hold and tie you up for a season to mature you, but then he looses you and lets you go. <laughs> See, I, I thought God only used loose people. But I found in some of my biggest struggles, painful times, loss of family members, loss in ministry, loss in business, hurt, was some of the greatest times of anointing on my life. I found in this life that I've walked for these 39 years, uh, 61 years actually, that I've walked this life for 40 years with Christ, preaching this gospel, 37, almost 38 years, been a full-time paid pastor for 30, 34 years, I think. I found that when I'm my weakest, He's the strongest on me and in me. Because instead of addressing it with my strength, my knowledge, I'm drained. I'm, I don't have anything but God. But when I have God, God is more than enough. He is more than enough, right? And whenever I begin to realize that I have God, then I'm totally dependent on him when I am tied up, when I'm bound with fear, worry like you, or sickness, or whatever. When I'm bound up, what, what happens if I would just still praise him and say, use me, Lord, use me, Lord. He always uses me. And I have a greater anointing, it seems like, or it seems that way to me because I know it had nothing to do with me. But what I want you to realize, God not only puts you on hold and ties you up for seasons in your life, there's other times he wants to loose you and not just let you go. He wants to loose you and send you forth. Hmm. Let's look at this for a minute. Hmm. He said, tell him to bring him here to me. Bring that coat to me. So what did Jesus do? He told him, whenever somebody questions you about taking that new coat, never been ridden, just tell them what I have need of him. That's what God says to Satan when he tries to take your job. That's what God says to Satan when he tries to take your family. That's what God says to Satan when he tries to take your health or to take your life. He said, he said no, I have need of her. I have need of him. I mean, I, you've heard my story. I partied out of two colleges and totaled three cars before I was 21. I was a train wreck ready to happen. I wanted to quit alcohol drugs. I, I wanted to get saved, but I, I just couldn't get myself ready enough, I thought. I didn't realize that I was in the perfect place to receive salvation. But when I finally hit rock bottom and I came to Christ, and even though he had me on hold and tied up as a new Christian, I was as free as I'd ever been as he began to download and prepare me for what was coming in my life. You know what he said? I remember one night driving back home, and I was about 17, 18 years old. I'd been out all night. I had this V8 Pontiac flying, new car, flying down this little straight stretch and passed out for a second. And I'm right at the end of it. I wake up, and it's like right down below where my mom lived, and there's this big old house with this big, huge tree in the yard. I mean huge tree and this hairpin curve. I don't know, early in the morning, 3, 4 in the morning, I'm wide open. When I woke up, I had to pull my foot off the gas, and I went, uh-oh. 
And about that time, I just started cutting. There was no way I could stop it. And somehow, my car just spun like around this huge. All the way around that curve, instead of going straight through that tree or that house, killing me and probably other people. Took me around that curb. I was facing the other way, and it really scared me. So I turned it real quick, and I'm sh- I could barely just—it's like not even a quarter mile to my house. I was shaking. I couldn't hardly get to the house. Talking about being scared, and I didn't understand it. I didn't understand it when I had a two-speed little Lincoln uh, uh, souped-up little car. And I'm flying through this road. I didn't know, but buddy, we just got out party. We just had our first Michelob open. And, you know, usually we drank the cheap stuff, but that day we felt frisky as a Saturday. We were going on today. And I'm wide open first, wide open second. I hit third. I'm wide open. And I didn't know this road. And there's a country store, a big old tree on a curve about four feet up from the ditch line. And then it cuts back down the hill. And I sat there in my beer in my hand. And I said, you've finally done it in my mind. You killed yourself. And my car went airborne. And it had to be an angel of the Lord somehow just tilted the left driver's side down just a little bit. I guess we hit right below the tree, flipped up, went about 100 feet down on our side, down the road. I broke the windshield out. Paul David Johnson broke the windshield out. We didn't have seatbelts on. It's dark, so we thought we were bleeding to death. It's just a beer all over us. I had one little scratch, one little, not even a cut, a scrape barely over my, I'm like, why am I alive? I wasn't trying to kill myself. I was just stupid. I was lost. Undone. Didn't think I had a way out. And people laugh. I used to tell this story early on. I'll tell it. This is when we were smaller in the warehouse, but I'll tell it. You know, when you're in the country riding around and taking your ponies and hitting signs and everybody's drinking in the summer and everybody's got to relieve themselves, they find the first wide spot. Over down there, and you're in the country, and there's a church, country church, and guys pull in there. I said, not me. I'd walk all the way down the parking lot. I ain't, I ain't relieving myself on no church parking lot. I, I respected God. I just didn't think he loved me. And I didn't blame it on him because I was like, who could love me? Who, who could take a chance on me? Who could care about me? But God. And when I came to him, I didn't even realize it, CJ, that even before I saved, he had me on hold. Now, I believe there would have been a time if I'd kept running from him, he'd loosed his hold and let Satan do, because Satan definitely wanted to kill me. He did not want me standing in front of you today. He, he had a plan on my life. He tried to kill me. So I've been shot at. It's crazy. But God. And I had friends die with way less stuff than what I went through. Thank God I ever hurt nobody or wrecked or hit people. I was, I was blessed to never kill or injure someone else through my stupidity. But God had me on hold. And there's some of you in here this morning, you're far away from God. Maybe you've never been a child of God. Or maybe you know you're backslidden so far, you're, the mud's drying on you. You're so far backslidden. You die today, you don't. You probably don't even think you'd go to heaven. Maybe God's got you on hold. Maybe he's got you on hold. He's got you tied up. Your money don't work. Your job don't work. Your relationships don't work. Your health's not working. Everything in your life, nothing's working in your life. 
And you just think, man, nobody cares about poor little old me. But maybe nothing's working because God's got you tied up and he sent the Holy Ghost like he sent his disciples, go and return her to me. Go and return him to me. Why? That donkey had a purpose. You know what the purpose was? So Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, could sit on that donkey in all his glory. The purpose of that coat when they went and got him, brought him into him, was so Jesus could sit down on it. Somebody say, sit on me, Lord. Say, you can sit on me, Lord. Sit on me, Lord. So that, so that, now what was sitting down there? Well, you got to think about it. Remember Luke chapter 4, right? When Jesus quoting, I think it's Isaiah 61, and he's reading the, the scroll, Isaiah 61, it's prophesying about the, the Messiah coming. He said, I've been called what? To loose the band of wicked, set the captives free, to heal the sick, the widow, and all that. Behind him was a chair reserved for the Messiah. No one sat in. Every, even today, they have one in every temple, Jewish temple. And when he closed it, he said, this day it is fulfilled. And he sat in the Messiah's chair. At first they were like, Wow, he's anointed, he heals people. Because this was in Nazareth, his hometown, home area. It said in Galilean area there. And, and, and said, that first they're enamored like he's so gifted, he's so anointed, people are getting healed and set free. And then it's like unbelief and Satan got a hold of their mind and said, wait a minute, he's blaspheming God. How could he, he's Mary and Joseph's son, the carpenter dude. That guy fixed a table for me when he was 15. He, he built this thing over here for me when he was 20 how, how is he the Messiah and the anger got him and they say abrouted him abraded him they were taking him toward a cliff to push him off and the angels Lord and Jesus just kind of went through him they only know how he got through that crowd and wasn't touched but what he did what he was telling them when he sat down as the Messiah he was bringing the authority of the kingdom of God into this earth and releasing it in the earth through the power of God. When God sits on you, that name, Jesus, above every name that could be named, above poverty, disease, fear, sin, addiction, whatever it is, any if it's got a name, it's already defeated. If it don't, give it one. But when it has a name, it's defeated under that name. It's got to bow itself to Jesus, King of kings and Lord of all. And what happens is when you came to Christ, Bible says in Romans 5, I believe it is, where, where it began to talk about uh, the first Adam. And the reason we have sin and death in the world is because of the rebellion of the first Adam. But it said, now the second Adam has come, Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, and whatever. And Jesus Christ has come to be the next, the second Adam. And through him, he is grace. And by grace, you are saved through faith. He became our grace right in front of us. He became our salvation. What does that mean? That means if you're on hold because you're far away from God or never known God, or you got family members that are on hold that you're concerned they're not going to ever find God or come back to God or friends, and there you sit, I want to encourage you today, just like Jesus knew where that coat was in a village away from him, just like he knew where it's tied up, he knew its history. 
He knew that it had never been written. He knew someone would even come and challenge his disciples, and he already gave them a word. And I want to tell you right now, Satan don't want to let you go. He don't want to lose you. Satan don't want to free you. But Jesus is saying to you this morning, bring them to me. Bring them to me. Why? Because I have need of them. 